And hey, welcome to the Briefing Room. I'm Devin Dwyer on this busy Friday, four days before the election. Great to have you with us. Great to have Martha Raddatz with us, Great our, to be our here. chief Great to be here. Uh, foreign correspondent, Justin Fischel, on the White House unit is here. Uh, and we have full team coverage on the on the campaign trail and south of the border today uh, as immigration is front and center uh, as we head into the home stretch of the campaign. In fact, the president just a few minutes ago on his way out the door to two campaign rallies tonight, talking again about fear of undocumented immigrants and his word, an invasion uh, that he mm. sees headed this way. Much of that rhetoric overcranked uh, compared to the facts. We are inside that caravan right now. Our Marcus Moore is uh, about 900 miles south of the U.S. border with the caravan of migrants. Um, and Marcus, want to bring you in uh, for the latest on that group there. And remind us again who these people are. The president says they're young men, they're dangerous, they're thugs, hordes of dangerous people. But what are you seeing there? Well, Devin, there are certainly, the president is right, there are young people here, a lot of young men who we have seen, uh, but uh, they, they don't, to me, appear to be uh, dangerous. In fact, I've talked with a number of them who have uh, been a part of this caravan since the beginning, since it started on October 13th. And I want to give you a quick lay of the land of where we are right now. We are in Sayula, Veracruz, which is a, a town about seven hours from the Mexico-Guatemala border. And this is what we see here uh, in this town, where there are literally hundreds of, of migrants who have been lining the highways here. We've also seen a number of people who have climbed onto the back of, of pickup trucks and 18-wheelers uh, continuing to go, to go north. Now, the reason why we are here is because the original caravan that we've been following for weeks now, uh, it has, has split up into really two groups. And uh, it includes one group that is farther ahead than the other. And they've actually shown up here at the Mercado, Mercado Municipal, um, which was open just a short time ago to give the migrants some shelter from uh, the rain. It has been raining here today. Uh, certainly that has brought the temperatures down, but they're still exposed uh, to the elements. And back to your original question, Devin, uh, when you talk about who we see, I mean, you could just look around uh, just behind me here, and you can clearly see that there are, are young, there are young children who are here. There's also uh, teenagers and, and, and men and women. It really is a, a diverse group. And I asked the director of the uh, Civil Protection Agency here in Sayula if they've had any problems. Uh, ha has there been violence? Has there, have there been uh, crimes reported? And the director told me absolutely not, and that so far everything has been tranquilo, which is what he said uh, in Spanish. Everything has been fine, and he hopes it, it stays that way. And certainly uh, that's what we have seen so far here, Devin, in Veracruz State. Yeah, some of the poorest people we know fleeing violence uh, and poverty in Honduras, uh, making their way up. Marcus, you said it's about a seven-hour drive. That's a heck of a long walk. How far are they going each day? What's, what's your latest estimate on uh, how long it would take them to even reach the United States on foot? You know, uh, Devin, if they're on foot, it, I mean, it will take... Uh, another few weeks to even get close to the to, to the U.S.-Mexico border. So what we have seen is that a number of people who've been a part of this caravan, they've actually hopped on to, uh, to vehicles and to trucks, and so they've been able to cover a lot of ground each day. When I was here last week, uh, they were they started out in Tapachula, which is a city right along the border. Let me get out of the way here, Jimmy, step over to Pala Izquierda, um, which is a city very close to the border, and in one day they were able to make it to the, uh, the next town, and so we're talking about covering 90 kilometers uh, or so uh, if you're able to hitch a ride on one of the trucks. But if you're walking, uh, there's not a lot you can, not, not, not a lot of ground that you can cover. So um, right now we are here in Sayula. 
um, the thinking is that perhaps they will go to another town uh, that's farther north by about 10 more minutes or so. That's by car. Uh, but again, last week, Devin, when we were, we were in the midst of this journey, we were talking about brutal heat, uh, temperatures well into the 90s, and people walking with their children and, and their relatives. It was uh, absolutely unbearable. And um, they were trying to leave in the morning when it would be cooler and easier for them to traverse uh, on this journey. But now, it is noticeably cooler, I can tell you, and, uh, and certainly that might perhaps mean that they could get a little bit farther along on this journey. But as you mentioned, we're still about 1,000 miles from the U.S.-Mexico border. All right, Marcus Moore for us in Mexico, uh, following those migrants, many of them asylum seekers. Thank you so much for your reporting, Marcus. Uh, and as the election now gets closer, the president really ramping up the fear, the sense mm -hmm. of fear of those people. As you just saw there, Marcus said weeks away, Martha. Uh, Probably more than that. He said, yeah. he, and he's, the president's saying that this is a perilous situation. He's talking, he's already <clears> sending <throat> the troops to the border, talking 15,000 troops. Uh, down there, uh, what is the, what is the thinking at the let's Pentagon? Remind, let's remind everybody again that that's how many troops we have in Afghanistan right. fighting the Taliban. It probably won't go up to 15,000, but who knows? I think the bigger question is exactly what they can do. We're sending active duty military service members down to the border. They can't do law enforcement duties. By law, they can't, posse comitatus. So they can't arrest, they can't round up people, they can't have anything to do with that. So what the Pentagon is saying they're doing is helping to set up tents, and not for the migrants, but for the Border Patrol. So will they be hanging out in those tents in the heat? Will they be passing out water? But you've got all these active duty military who are, uh, I, I know well how many deployments these service members make again and again and again and again right, away totally. from their families. They are, I, I mean, U.S. military uh, active duty service members and, and the Guard, if, if they're going to active duty, are basically trained to kill. The military police have more of a policing mm -hmm. duty when they're in the military, but we are sending that many active duty military. I know some of them are military police, some of them are engineers, uh, but this is not the and, normal thing and there they is, would there, do. And it's different from peacekeeping. But, and there is no mission. They don't have a mission. Okay, so the idea is, if you're listening support, to the president, support. that there's an invasion, a cross-border invasion, and that's what they're there to confront. But historically, we see that this is not what happens. These uh, these caravans in the past, they go to ports of entry and they wait. And, and, and that's they wait what's for supposed asylum, to happen. Which so, has happened so, many times before. And, and in fact... With the president's comments, yeah. I mean, the, with the president's comments about if they throw rocks, and there have been skirmishes with with some of these caravans... This is yesterday, in, the president in, said, if they in, throw in, rocks, if, if they we can shoot. There have been skirmishes down the road. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, way, 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 way down yeah. the road. So to your point, Justin, so they come to the border, and when are they going to be exactly throwing rocks at U.S. forces who are back from right. the border? But the and president said... why would they said, throw rocks if they're applying for asylum? Yeah. So, there, there is. I, I know. The scenarios are very confusing. Um, if they got in and then started throwing rocks, but by saying something like, if they throw rocks, we'll see that as a gun. Yeah. Now, the U.S. forces 
can practice self-defense. I mean, anytime, anywhere mm -hmm. they are, they can practice self-defense. And he self said, we treat rocks as bullets, as if they were shooting at us. But and we, U.S. forces, don't carry rocks. Right, right. so they fire. would fire back. So, so, so it's disproportionate, which it should not ever be. Um, but it, it's also accidents waiting to happen. Exactly. In 97, there was a the, Marine. The president tried to walk that back a little bit Yes, today. he did. He did. Um, he said, we're not going to shoot. We're not going to fire on them. We're not going to shoot on them. talk to him about yeah, that. It, it's yeah, it's almost like, you know, don't, don't keep saying those things. Right. We're not going to shoot them. But again, if you're in a position where in your head you have somebody saying something like that and they can practice self-defense, and I was saying in 97 there was a Marine who was helping with surveillance, active duty. There was a, a goat herder, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. Coming right. across. And coming across. He probably thought he was in the middle of nowhere. I think he was firing his rifle up in the air. Whatever. The Marines thought they were under fire. Not an enemy, and, right. And, fired and they back. did fire back. I mean, it's, it's... But... But right it, and, and, before, and before we move on, I did want troops, I to, to, say to, yeah. to, to your very point, Martha, uh, Martin Dempsey, who you know well, yeah. former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, tweeted uh, late yesterday about this situation, we think. Didn't address it specifically. He never but names names, but it's always kind of clear. Right? Let's take a look at the tweet. Clear. He says, our men and women uniform, better trained, better equipped, better led, so they meet any threat with confidence. But a wasteful deployment of overstretched soldiers and Marines would be made much worse if they used disproportional force to the threat they face. Um, they won't. He's expressing he confidence and yes. then they won't and, do but that. But he's also sending wasteful, that message, be careful. Wasteful. Yeah. But he's also he, saying wasteful. Exactly. He's saying it's a wasteful deployment to, to Justin's point. What What is the exact mission? And why do you need the U.S. military if they can't if they can't make arrests, if they can't uh, do law enforcement duties? So you've got the U.S. military, which is as uh, General Dempsey, who knows a thing or two about deployment, mm -hmm. says, you know, what are they going to do there? But I, I think that's his own gentle, be careful down there, guys, because there is room for accident. I have faith in you, but be careful. And getting mixed messages from a revered one of their own. Then, of course, the commander-in-chief just a little while ago weighing in on this again on the South Lawn as he headed out. Our Karen Travers was there. She joins us from the White House. Karen uh, pretty contentious president uh, this afternoon, doubling down on the rhetoric and also pointing his finger at you when you asked him a pretty tough question. Tell us about yeah, it. Yeah, quite literally, Devin. I asked the president about the new poll from ABC News and the Washington Post, which found that half of Americans say the president is encouraging politically motivated violence with his speech. I presented that stat to the president, was starting to ask him a question. The president interrupted, and this is what he had to say. You know what? You're creating violence by your questions. You are creating you. And also, a lot of the reporters are creating violence by not writing the truth. The fake news is creating violence. Earlier this week, Devin, you'll remember Sarah Sanders was pushed into contentious exchange with our colleague John Carl about the president blaming the media for the violence recently here in this country. And Sanders said the president's not placing any blame. She said the president condemned that shooting in Pittsburgh last week, but the media is the one that very quickly pointed the finger at him and jumped on him. But as you heard the president say right there, Devin, he said you, you, the media. And, and the White House has tried to make a distinction between what the president says is fake news and all news, but the president in tweets in the past has referred by name to every television network, in his view, as fake media.
And Karen, also seeming you could read into some of the comments today, the president sort of laying the groundwork for the potential loss of control of the House of Representatives. Democrats seem poised in the latest forecast to take over the House. The president said uh, he thinks this violence and the, the, both the bomber, the Florida bomber, also the shooting in Pittsburgh, uh, the media's coverage of both of those things, he sees those as potentially disrupting mm -hmm. Republicans' momentum. Mm -hmm. in this he election. That, that's that's what he's claiming, right? Yeah, he said that at a rally, uh, that essentially that they had some wind at their back and all of this recent controversy and violence had put a stop to that. A lot of questions today about the president's closing argument, what he's going to be saying on the campaign trail over the next couple of days and whether or not he can work with Democrats if they do take control of the House. Devin, we might be seeing a uh, bringing back a reprise of the Chuck and Nancy and President Trump show when he cut that deal with them last year. Uh, he certainly isn't ruling out working with them, and that might be his new reality starting in January. All right, Karen Travers at the White House, thank you so much for joining us, Karen, and for your reporting uh, there on the South Lawn with the president. I want to bring in uh, our legal analyst now, Kate Shaw, to unpack uh, all of these claims by the president a little bit further. The president dropping hints that he has a number of executive orders mm -hmm. coming on everything from asylum to birthright citizenship. Uh, Kate, you've studied these things. There's a lot of blowback from members of his own party and, of course, from Democrats that uh, these are not legal. Well, and you know, Devin, I think the blowback has actually been surprisingly bipartisan. Now, I think that um, largely, I think, uh, the president says a lot of controversial things, but I have rarely seen such a sort of unified response to a presidential proposal as I have to the birthright citizenship proposal uh, this week. So left and right legal scholars of all stripes have been pretty unanimous in explaining that the president does not have the power under the Constitution to undo the principle of birthright citizenship. It is clearly granted by the 14th Amendment. Um, which provides that anyone born in the United States is a citizen of the United States. Uh, and not only the Constitution, there's a statute that essentially uh, repeats the same language. So even if by some stretch it were possible to make the change the president described, it would need to be done by Congress, uh, not by the president. Uh, and again, it's been a pretty unanimous reaction. So maybe it's good politics to make this point, but the law is pretty squarely against ever actually pursuing a proposal like this. Kate, and the president's proposals have been just that, proposals yeah. he has not yet signed or unveiled any of these things, so there does seem to be a good bit of politics here. Um, but as you know, a number of civil rights groups have already lined up uh, promising to challenge in court any of these moves if they actually come to fruition, right? I mean, ACLU was out just today saying they are ready to fight back. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think that Many of these proposals I would be very surprised ever to see converted into an executive order. So typically the president would consult the Department of Justice, his own White House counsel's office, before actually issuing an executive order like this. Uh, and the few times that he has issued orders without real thorough legal vetting inside the administration, like the first couple of iterations of the travel ban, those have been swiftly invalidated by the courts. And uh, I'm co confident that uh, some, uh, an executive order that purported to undo birthright citizenship um, would mm. swiftly encounter the same kind of legal obstacles. It'd be challenged immediately, and it would likely be invalidated immediately. And I think that's true about some of the other proposals the president has floated this week as well. All right. Always great to have Kate Shaw in the briefing room for your analysis. Kate, thank you so much. Thanks, and our thanks Kevin. to Martha Raditz as well, who had to uh, had to take off. Moving on, another big headline today in the world of foreign policy. The president making good on his promise to yeah. get rid of the Iran deal and reimpose sanctions. Those take place on Monday. Uh, in fact, take a look. The president tweeted just a little while ago that um, a bit of a Game of Thrones yeah, uh, play here. Weird. Sanctions are coming, the president yeah. tweeted. And if you can, yeah. can see there in the lower left, that's a picture 
picture of Donald Trump looks like a movie poster. Justin. It looks just like the Game of Thrones. These are uh, sanctions I, I on Iran. These are, the, these, these are the most biting sanctions. There it right? is. Yeah. These uh, are the oil. These sanctions. are the big ones. These are the oil sanctions. This is effectively what uh, will really. This really solidifies, you know, the 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 present pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal. Um, uh, it hits Iran where it hurts the most with oil, although I will say it's important to note they granted eight waivers uh, to mostly Asian countries th so they can still buy Iranian oil, but uh, nevertheless this, these are designed to hit the Iranians hard. And he seems to think that he can bring them back to the table. I mean, it was sanctions that brought them to the table in the first place. He thinks he can do uh, stricter ones to make what he says would be a better deal. That remains to be seen. You know, we will see uh, what the blowback is to that announcement today. Also, HBO, just as a footnote here, didn't yeah. like the president's no. use of Game of Thrones. They tweeted back at the president uh, saying, uh, having a little bit of fun back, too. How do you say trademark misuse mm -hmm. in Dothraki, if you haven't seen the show? <laughs> um, th that is one of the tribes in the show. And, so, a lot okay. of, I've, and if you uh, search around social media, you'll see the other indictments are coming. There's a lot of trolling going yeah, on with that a, one. Yeah, a, a lot of playfulness <laughs> today. Okay. Uh, moving on, obviously, four days away uh, from the big midterm election on Tuesday and our uh, friends at 538 are, are tracking the latest. They've kept us honest all the way uh, with the forecasts and the brains behind the operation. Nate Silver joins us now from New York. Nate, great to have you with us. Thank you. Um, so give us your top lines on the for latest forecast in the House and the Senate. Uh, a lot of conventional wisdom out there that the House is going for Democrats. The Senate will stay with Republicans. Uh, break that down for us. Yeah, I guess, boringly, we are in line with the conventional wisdom. Um, we have Democrats with about an 80% chance of taking the House, Republic, uh, the, the GOP with about an 85% chance of keeping the Senate. Um, and you've seen those diverge more and more, in fact. At around the time of the Kavanaugh confirmation, you began to see Democratic incumbents have a lot of trouble in key Senate states like North Dakota. Meanwhile, though, the House playing field looks pretty bad for the GOP. Um, they're not out of the running. It's a large number of seats in play. If they won every toss-up race, they would still win. Um, but there are not a lot of signs of, of momentum, really either way, but not favorable momentum for the GOP in particular in the House. And yet, both of these forecasts that you have, Nate, are not 100 percent. Yeah. There's a 15 on both sides. There's about a 15 percent likelihood that the other side wins. That's a good. That's a good bit of uh, of uncertainty, I'd say. What is the yeah. biggest in terms of breaking down the mm -hmm. model? What's the biggest factor of uncertainty when you when you put together a forecast? So, for one thing, it's just because this race is fought on a district by district and state by state level, um, and so people have to vote in 120 roughly competitive districts in the House and 10 or 12 states in the Senate that could be competitive. Um, you know, to some extent, the data tells a fairly consistent but not perfectly so story. So we have seen in the House Democrats raising tons and tons and tons of money, and they are out-advertising Republicans two to one in a lot of districts. The effect of that remains to be seen. The downside case of the GOP is that all of a sudden incumbents who are not used to having close races are now getting out-advertised in the final week of the campaign and close their races poorly. Um, the upside is that maybe the president motivates GOP turnout to be a bit higher, but, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, um, but uh, turnout is very important here. We're going to see a very high turnout. Does that mean that only Democrats turn out or that both parties turn out? That would affect whether you wind up at the bottom end or the low end of the range for Democrats' gains in the House. Hey, Nate, it's, it's Justin here. The, uh, I'm curious your take. The immigration rhetoric from the president is obviously off the charts. What is your sense about the impact this is having? Is this a working strategy? Is there any way to track that? 
I mean, our sense is that it hasn't had that much of an effect either way, and our forecast has been very flat. Um, Look, voters have a lot to think about this election cycle. They have to think about the president. They have to think about the economy, which is a positive for the president. They have to think about immigration. They have to think about Russia and a lot of things. And so we have not seen much of a shift. We saw some um, turbulence in the forecast, if you will, around the time of the Kavanaugh nomination process. Um, but we haven't seen much effect recently. Maybe the president's approval rating has declined by a point or two in some polls, which is not great for him. Um, but still, I think voters have been locked into their decisions for a long time. There are not a ton of undecided voters, and I think, I think you know, the last week's campaign won't necessarily be a big game changer either way. All right, Nate Silver with 538. Thank you so much, Nate, for your forecast, and you'll have the latest up to the minute down to the wire, 538.com, uh, and on, uh, on the ABC News website as well. Nate, thanks so much. Cool, thank you. All right. Uh, well, the campaign blitz is well underway with the president uh, hitting the trail. Uh, president Obama out on the trail as well. Today is a t uh, day of dueling presidents out there. Uh, let's go to uh, West Virginia now where Meredith McGraw is standing by awaiting President Trump with a pretty feisty crowd uh, there behind you. Pretty big crowd, too, there, Meredith. Give us, uh, give, us your, uh, give us some color from on the ground there. What's the mood in West Virginia? Meredith McGraw in a, in a uh, exciting uh, campaign trail setting there. The music is blaring, and we will uh, check back in with you later, Meredith. Thank you so much. The president, uh, his remarks uh, coming up uh, within the hour. That was MJ I caught at the end. I think they were playing little, Beat little, It. A little, little Beat It. That wasn't directed at us, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, we'll have the president's remarks here at ABC News Live coming up. Uh, meanwhile, President Obama, as mentioned, is out on the trail today as well. He's in, been in Florida just a little while ago wrapping up a stump speech, we all, which we also carried here uh, for Andrew Gillum. He's the Democratic candidate for governor and Bill Nelson, Democratic uh, senator in Florida. Here's a little bit of what President Obama had to say trolling President Trump. Take a listen. A president doesn't get to decide on his own who's an American citizen and who's not. That's not how the Constitution of the United States works. That's not how the Bill of Rights works. That's not how our democracy works. All right, taking President Obama taking on President Trump and the birthright citizenship uh, topic, among others, Justin, but I've been surprised by is that President Trump hasn't gone back swinging at his predecessor uh, as much as you might expect. Well, yeah, he, he hasn't really addressed him much at all. Um, although, Devin, there are still four days left and, like, five rallies, yeah. uh, at least, if I have that right. Or five <laughs> rallies over the uh, um, Sunday and Monday alone, right. I think it yeah. is. So, um, 
I think he's got another beat inside him. Something else is coming. Uh, we saw maybe a little flash of that today. Uh, he was talking about the, the, the positive jobs report. Um, some think he may he could see it to his advantage to swing yeah, back. The economy to his is economy. on fire. The economy is on fire. And that on that note, by the way, 250,000 jobs added last month. Unemployment staying at a 50-year low, 3.7 percent. Certainly a good thing Big for stuff the president. To run on. Good thing for all of us. Good thing for the country. And Republicans are hoping that carries them across. All right. Well, thank you so much for watching us here in the briefing room today. We will have full coverage uh, on on election night next Tuesday. Special coverage starting at 4:30 p.m. Eastern time with the big vote continuing on through 2 a.m. Eastern time. My colleague Dan Harris will be hosting that with the entire political team. You'll be there on set as well. We will be carrying you through the way and all the friends at 538 will have their analysis throughout the night as well. Uh, until uh, till then, we'll see you next time. Justin Fischel, I'm Devin Dwyer. Have a great weekend.